What's good, good people? Welcome to my very first episode. Before this episode started, I'm not even gonna lie, I got super nervous before I recorded this, but I prayed and I've asked God to be with us during this podcast. So my very first episode, I thought what better to start with than the culture. Being someone is part of who I identify as, as a man, as an American, and it's part of my upbringing. A little background on how I got here to America is my parents. So my mom and dad met, and I just let you know my religious background, I grew up LDS. So my mom uh, says that she, she met my dad at a bar, and she says she doesn't drink, so I'm not sure how that even all happens, but apparently she met him at a bar. He had already had an, a child uh, prior to meeting her, and things, I guess, just went off. I really don't know. Parents, Samoan parents don't talk about how they love life is, which <laughs> I really could have probably used some lessons in that area, but that's for another story. So they met, and ended up getting married. He also had served 10 years of his life in San Quentin for a murder charge. I won't go into details because like I said, Simon parents, they really don't talk. So I really don't know what my dad did, but apparently there was a alcohol involved at a pool hall and someone died. And somehow he got caught up in this case. Um, from there, they started a family. They had my oldest, uh, they had me, was their, was their first um, son, combined son together. Each one of them had a child from a previous relationship. Um, but growing up with them, just growing up as a Samoan, when, when they first transplanted, as I look back on my life, they instilled a lot of their culture. And I look back at their identity. They literally came to the harshest place to live in America. Compton, California has its own reputation for being gang infested, you know, rap music, all this other stuff going on. But at the heart of it, there was a love for the Samoa in Compton. And growing up there, I was able to see things for the first, as almost uh, as if I grew up in Samoa, my parents transplanted there, but also they brought the culture with them, which I look back and I think, what an amazing way to raise your kids. Um, they, we, I grew up doing umu. We had umu on the side of the house. We would do every, the community, if, if people from church needed umu done for their wedding, for their funeral, we were that family. And we would cook the traditional way of doing the umu, valu and kalo, you know, uh, doing the fa'i, you know, the, the whole nine. We did it as kids and we would do fa'als, which if you don't know what a fa'al is, you thank you, bl- count your blessings. We did a bunch of fa'als growing up and um, even down to apofango and I would be disgusted at some of the stuff they'd use. Like they washed, one person washed their hands with the same bowl and then turn around and send it to the next. Anyways, in this today's society, that would be considered unsanitary, but somehow that it worked and it taught me a lot of like what they were living like in Samoa and how they were able to bring that back here to America. My dad, uh, being such a go-getter, he ended up getting a boat growing up. I grew up with a boat and we would go fishing. And just a little bit about how, like, how strong his roots were in. He went and got certified to be a scuba diver, got his boat, learned how to 
use the oxygen tank because in Samoa, I'm sure they're not diving with that growing up, but he got certified and he started fishing and he would go down. Uh, we'd be in Long Beach and he would early mornings growing up as a child. I can still remember like feeling the water as I'm riding on the boat, bouncing on the front, smelling the smell of the ocean. This would be like five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. And it's pitch black out there. And he would go down, me and my siblings. I think I might have been uh, eight or nine. And that means my brother, younger brothers were not seven. And one was like five. And we were on top of the boat while my dad was diving underneath the, uh, underneath the boat by himself, unsupervised. I'm telling you, this is like the Samoan way, you know, he, he trusted and he would go down with a potato sack. Um, and I, it's those mesh potato sacks. So he would shoot the fish with a spear with that had the rubber band on it and then be underwater. And when I look at this now as an adult, I look back and like, dang, you got to have some guts, bro. He was underwater with his bag, that bag of fish. And, you know, these are shark infested waters, too. And he's down there collecting all kinds of fish, even some illegal fish. You know, there was this orange fish in California that was literally it's like a childhood memory. The most succulent fish it had. It had this fatty meat to it. The, the grease that you could fry off of it, you could just scoop it with a piece of fatty and it would taste glorious. But he would get that fish, too. And we'd have a way of we'd hide the fish. But. He was, he was just an amazing person when it came to that. Because when he would come back, it was almost like if he was still in Samoa, come back with the fish, immediately call the community, the Samoan community through church or even friends that knew he was coming back. And he would sell the fish to the community. So I, very, I was very like exposed to the culture and, and, and just my upbringing. You know, my, even speaking Samoan was the only language that we could speak in Samoan or uh, uh, speak in the home at the time. So growing up, I spoke Samoan uh, fluently. I wouldn't say today it's anything near that, but it was something that I embraced. I loved um, the aspects of what it taught me. My parents taught me about respect, you know, making sure when you walk in front of people, you say gloat. You know, you you have manners like they carried on these traditions from being in Samoa. They were very open hearted. There's times that we had several people that I don't even think we were related by blood and maybe some were related by blood, but they would live in our homes and we would treat them as if they were uh, a guest in Samoa. I guess they they have these house faleo'os that they have built in each village for people that are passing through. And I always looked at like like that's what my parents were doing in Compton. They were having people who were coming to stay or maybe the first time to America stay with us until they got to get on their feet and they would move on. And I, there were countless of family. I can't even count how many times I've had to share my room or give up my room. Um, but these lessons, I've, I've realized that it was part of who they were. Some of the even part of the culture of sharing during times of the funeral and, and, and weddings, big celebrations, you would see the community come together with these cities where they would bring not just money, they would bring food, they would bring uh, boxes of bisupo and uh, fish, whatever the community could come together, families, this was still actively happening in LA, in Compton, in gang infested streets, you know, prostitutes, you know, all, drugs, all that was happening while this Samoan culture was, was still coexisting in this in this L.A. mentality. And I, looking back, I just look at how beautiful that was on the flip side of that growing up 
That means I grew up in the same type of environment where I was, and at home, I was Samoan, but when I was in school, I had to be somebody else. So it was almost like living a double life. Growing up in LA, it wasn't, I mean, things started early, things start real fast. You know, there's, when I was growing up, I think in elementary, I had maybe two other Samoans. And then, you know, so we're very like outnumbered when it came to race and being like a, Things didn't really pop off to me for me until probably about middle school. So all through elementary, I was really good, except for I started my little criminal ways early on. I would get to school and try to like, uh, instead of trying to go to class, I I jammed the door so I could see like the little. Uh, they might have been mis- mischievous ways, but like jam the door with a pencil lead and break it off so like the janitor would have to take a long time and I wouldn't have to go to class or we'd go to. I could see these small ways. I'll get to why this makes sense, but I could see myself changing because of the people around me. I had a friend, a couple friends named Reginald. We used to just do some little hood rat things with your friends, you know, popping firecrackers and 80s and bottles and all kinds of little crazy stuff. But it wasn't until I got into junior high where things really started to shift and how my exposure to gangs was really there was no way of hiding it. Every day I would, I would go, I would walk to school. I would have to walk through maybe four different gang sets just to get to my middle school. And on the way, there's been mornings where, you know, I'd get, I'd get confronted by different gangs walking through their set, especially being Samoan. There's, um, there's a Samoan gang that's from Compton, Park Village, Compton Crip, which are a lot of people. I have a lot of family members. I grew up in a church that uh, most of the members there were from that gang. But a lot of gangs will affiliate you being Samoan with being from that particular gang. And if they were your enemy, like I would have to walk through the enemy's territory, even though I wasn't a gang member from that gang, from Park Village, but I would still get sweated. That means for those who don't know, not from LA, like they would still hit me up and harass me like if I was because they knew I was Samoan. So middle school, I really started to see that uh, that type of LA mentality being influenced on me. Um, even with, I had two homies that, that I went to school with. They were brothers. They got me into graffiti and we used to go tag up and skip class. And I, I never skipped class in, in, in elementary, but sixth grade, I would say I'm, that's like, I didn't even go to school half the year. Like I got in trouble. I would go to, to cut class. We'd spend like numerous days at, in front of like an arcade. Sometimes it was innocent, but sometimes it was, you know, like criminal mischief. Um, I recall this lesson of when I tried to pull strings on my dad because, you know, I knew he was from Samoan, kind of a fob, but also I knew that he knew the street life after serving 10 years. It, this ain't no innocent man we talking with. And I had lied to him because I, I was getting chased by the police and me and my homies had to jump a fence. And when I went to jump the fence, my hand caught the barbed wire and it ripped my hand in half. And I'm looking at it and there's, I mean, I'm at a, it was like an auto mechanic store or an auto mechanic shop. I asked him for a rag, the rag is dirty and I'm just covering my hand. I wait to get to school. And when I got to school, I went to the nurse's office and I told the nurse, hey, you know, I fell on a piece of glass because in school in LA, I mean, there's trash, glass, you know, every, they don't really, it's not a place where people really clean up all the time. So it could, it could happen. I was thinking to myself that, oh yeah, that could, that might slide. You know, my dad, man, my dad knew it. He, uh, he was this very stern father. He, he's like, you know, I had a feeling, you know, you lied to me 
and he he was right. He was right looking back. He knew the whole time, you know, that I was lying. I'd cut class and I just was afraid. I was I was fearful. That was one thing that the Samoan culture also like uh, instilled in me a lot of fear. I was afraid of what my dad would do. You know, I would get fussied if I did, um, if I'd messed up. And, and that was hard for me to admit. So I, I would rather lie, man. As a Samoan kid, for, for people that are listening, you might even identify with that, that you, you, you sometimes couldn't tell the truth because the truth would actually get you more uh, uh, hurting or, or beatings because of that, you know? So I I learned, I went, got home and I still ended up getting a little beaten for that. Well, I didn't get beaten, but the whole time my hands getting stitched, he looked at me like, you better not cry. If you know, you know, I did not, I didn't shed a tear, but, um, I noticed that the influence of music, the rap music specifically was playing a huge, uh, involvement in my life. I started smoking weed in the sixth grade. I would meet up with some of my homies before school and we would light up in the back of school. And it's like the teachers knew it too. It's almost like they all knew. I remember my PE teacher took some weed from us. And we later see him. He's got sunglasses on. <laughs> and so, I mean, automatically I'm thinking, well, this dude freaking went and smoked it, which is not something that wouldn't have happened. Um, that's just kind of I'm trying to paint the picture of what it would what it looked like. So, you 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 know, I'm, I'm dealing. I have Cholo friends. I uh, remember uh, Cholos are like, you know, they're they're the Mexican sets that are the Mexican gangs that are that are in L.A. And. You know, every gang, every culture, I guess, every ethnicity has its own way of of how they how they move. And I, I had this cholo friend. His name was Salvador. Man, we used to get I look back on it. I tell people this story all the time. Man, Salvador had a five o'clock shadow. So I'm in the sixth grade and I'm like maybe 11, 12. And he had a five o'clock shadow. So I'm thinking now I look at his adult like this dude was not no 12. He was probably 16. 16, 15, and his girl was like 20. So I knew, I didn't know then, I was just young and naive, but I'm running with Salvador. We used to cut class together. We'd steal cars. I'd ride with him. We'd go, you know, do graffiti. And it was just different, man. I look back and I can say that, man, I didn't even know, you know, LA schools, they let somebody that's, you know, almost a decade year older than you still let you go to school with that person because they failed. But just to, you know, to paint the picture of like the type of people that I was surrounded with growing up in LA. Um, I also, I also grew up like saying nigga, like the way that I spoke, uh, growing up, we embraced, when I look back, we embraced the black culture the most because a lot of our homies were black, you know, we, a lot of our homies were Mexican too. I mean, LA has this way of having like a great diversity, but when it came to be Samoan, like you almost had to join one group or the other. And for me, it was always the black. Maybe some Samoans out there that had gravitated more towards Hispanic culture, but I gravitated more towards the black. So a lot of my language, all of my daily language, as soon as I leave the house, like, hey, nigga, you know, what's up, cuz? You know, embracing that that language, that that LA mentality, like, and that was just something I grew up. It was, I don't speak like that today. But I was something that I truly embraced. Like the whole nigga was like part of the vocab every day. Like, what's up, my nigga? You, you know, it was just something that we grew up around. We really embraced that. And to bring that back, I'm, my takeaway from seeing both sides, being Samoan at home and then living the L.A. lifestyle, I see a lot of 
Samoans that come from Samoa these days. And even growing up, the first thing they would try to do is embrace the the LA mentality. Like, you know, hey, what's up, Nika? You know, you think you, you know, like they would try to almost try too hard to because they felt like by fitting in, they would have to sell their Samoan identity in order to be embraced and pick up this LA mentality. And for the Samoans here, now that I'm becoming an adult and, and, and adulting, I'm like, man, I wish I could speak Samoan more fluently. I wish I would have learned more of what's happening in the, the house of the seat when they're doing the seat and what they're saying and who's the talking chief and who's not the talking chief, you know, and what different roles are, you know, I could hear somebody yelling outside. I don't know what they're saying, but they're saying something. You know, I, I, I can see how... L.A. had its own influence on me, but the culture also did, too. And what I'm learning now as an adult, my takeaway is that to remove the L.A. mentality, because my culture was way stronger, way better, way, way cooler. You know, I, I spent so much time trying to embrace this black culture, this gang life, that it didn't work for me. It only put me in a setback where I was trapped and really like lowered my self-esteem, my, lowered my spirit in order to fall in line to what was my surrounding. When I had a home that was rich in culture, rich in everything that I was looking for in this identity and finding this place in this world, in America, in this life in America. And I'm, you know, I, and I know that, you know, I'm not the only one because I could see that with my Samoan friends. There wasn't very many of us. I think when I finally got to high school, I started to see more Samoan. And by then, we were all influenced by L.A. The way that we talked, the way we carried, well, a lot of us were already in gangs. I had already joined a gang. Matter of fact, I joined a gang at church. A lot of my set was uh, KAS. I was I was jumped in at church uh, with with my fellow, uh, my quorum, my deacon's quorum. For those who are LDS, they would know um, what that is. But it's basically your age group um, that you're with as boys, you go off into a class. And we had a rule like, don't put, no, when you jump somebody into a gang, it'll be like three of them. And you only jump them in for a certain minute. But for church, we wouldn't punch each other in the face. So we would be going, they would go at it. I remember the next day, like I was bruised. I was hurt. I hid it from my family. But it was it was one that was that was typical to see in L.A. Somebody getting jumped into a gang. So by what the time I was in high school, I had, I was full fledged, you know, trying to be this gangster as I could be on everyday level. But also I, I was surrounded by that. So it was either you had to you had to you didn't have to looking back as an adult, I look back and I'm like, I didn't have to. But I felt like I was being influenced by the LA lifestyle versus just being influenced by the culture. And really just looking back, I just should, I just should have pivoted my eyes more and embraced the culture for what it was, what it had, what the richness of it had. And, you know, showing that love, um, the love that I got from the culture, it was, is, is something that still resides in me now. You know, when I, I, I think about the times that people would go from one village to another village the embrace that they had was with smiles. But growing up in L.A., I had to mean mug everybody. And now I try, man. I, I get the opportunity to smile at everyone. I live in Utah, so it's a lot easier. But I, I try to smile. And even for some polys that have been influenced by the gang life, 
listen, man, it's okay to smile. We all in the struggle of life together. And, and, and smiling, that's one way to show your aloha, your love, your aloha, the spirit of the Polynesian people. We, we smile. And I know that today that that's something that I, I, my takeaway is like, smile more often, man. Smile. You never know what that smile might do for your brother, your uso, your toko. It means a lot. And just being able to, to hold on to the core values of the culture, you know, the respect for one another, respect for each other, you know, to speak well about others when you when you meet them uh, and you know, and there's such an inner, there's a network that within the Samoan community where so-and-so knows so-and-so. And, and that's being embraced in that not only when you move, but you move in the name of your family. And that means a lot in the culture. And holding on to that, that helps redirect our lives today for me has really helped me redirect my life to move away from the L.A. mentality. There is no retirement, no 401k in living a gang life. I've never known a gang member that said, I, you know, I retired off a of gangbang. That just doesn't, it doesn't happen. You retire by dying or you end up in the pen. I've lost a lot of friends early on in life that should still be here and on earth with me today. But unfortunately, with, with the influence of L.A., it really has its way of, uh, I would say it's definitely not from God because it's, it's the adversary's way of seeping into the culture. And as a Psalm 1 man that I, I am today, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made it out. I'm glad my parents moved me out of L.A. when they did. We moved to Utah, um, I would say, in 1997 or 8. And I was a sophomore in high school. It was a perfect time because at that time, I, I, I just got in. I was in high school. I was in the gang. I, was, I had a lot of homies. I just started doing, you know, small crime, like breaking into people's houses, stealing cars. Um, nothing too heavy. It's not like I'm, you know, murder somebody. Um, I have been in a car with a drive-by, but it's not like I pulled the trigger. So it was still an influence that, that today when I look back, I made it. And for those who might still be in it, like, listen, bro, you know, you, your culture is the real gang gang. Like being Samoan and represent for the people that came before you who traveled the greatest ocean, the biggest ocean to get you here in America, made a lot of sacrifices in your behalf, made a huge sacrifice, sacrifices that you will never see. They brought you here. And for be, to be here as an America in this amazing country, what a blessing, you know, what a blessing of opportunity, what a blessing uh, of my ancestors, my parents who made their sacrifices to get me here and to be born here. I consider my life a blessing. I consider even my struggle a blessing. Being born in L.A. and coming out of it, and some people still stuck in that L.A. mentality, I feel for you. I pray for you. I'm glad I made it. I'm grateful to have the knowledge of where I stand today as a man, Samoan man, growing and looking towards my culture as a way to embrace family, to uphold the standards and, and values that the Fasamo has taught me to care, to be a better brother, to be a better uh, father, to be a, a better son, to hold to the core values, to serve others. There's so many beautiful things about being Samoan, but sometimes in this world that we live in America, it's being diluted 
by the music that we listen to. I recently just got rid of all the rap that I used to listen to. And every now and then I'll listen to a song, it'll take me back to the streets. So for what, I, what I've been doing, I've been actively seeking like other types of music, even for reggae. I was, I was a huge pothead, huge. And I didn't realize that my music was influencing. I love reggae, all polys love reggae. A lot of what reggae music stands for is weed smoking. And even though the beats are good, and but there is a vibe, there is a spirit in music is what I'm getting to. There is a spirit of music that influences. And if you don't monitor that music, it will influence you for the good and for the bad. But it does influence you. And I've been mindful and it's been paying off, man. I've been listening, searching on Spotify. I didn't know that they had Christian rappers out there. Tell you what. Some of the most gangster stuff I had ever listened to in my life. They talking about God. They talking about struggle. They talking about I'm trying to make it every day, you know, and serving the Lord. And and it's a positive music. Today, I, I live a different life. I'm searching for positivity. I'm embracing my struggle. I'm looking to progress in this life. And I'm grateful for the Samoan culture for what it's done for me and for my parents for instilling that with me. So... This is my first podcast as I tie this up. I appreciate everybody for listening. Thank you so much for being here with me today and listening to uh, my experience from the culture. And, you know, get out there and smile. When you see another Uso, you see another Toko, let's embrace each other. Let's face each other with love and, and with true culture and get back to being the real Samoans and the real Polynesians that we are. Uh, let's go.